Well, hello, Overlake. It's wonderful to be with you today. My name is Mike, one of the pastors on the team. I'd love to invite you to grab your notes out of your handout, and you will see that we are wrapping up a series called The Circus today. It's on family life dynamic, and, and since on Mother's Day, uh, I happened to, if you were here, you know I talked about um, money and leeches on Mother's Day. Today, I thought I'd make up for this on Father's Day by talking about um, parenting. And so today's message, not only for dads, uh, for moms too, it's that relational dynamic that happens in our homes. And so the message is for the amazing Mrs. Perfect or the amazing Mr. Perfect, which of course you know uh, that person does not exist. No, in fact, we might follow the perfect parents on Instagram or read their blogs. And when we do read their blogs, we end up running ourselves down, thinking, man, they have nine kids that all look like Baby Gap models. Uh, They're always on some fun adventure or teaching Martha Stewart a new craft. Uh, Their houses are always clean, restoration hardware furnished in their homes, and, and we just don't measure up. And if that's you, I just want you to know that, that, friends, God has made each and every one of us uniquely, and he wants to equip you so that you would parent in a way that absolutely matches your child in your family dynamic. It's not going to look exactly like anyone else's. Plus, once you strip the Instagram filters away, even in the most famous perfect parent, you will find a very unglamorous side of parenting, uh, just another parent trying to do their best and often falling short, just like you and me. I will remind you of these famous words from comedian Ray Romano, who said, having children is like living in a frat house. Nobody sleeps, everything's broken, and there's a lot of throwing up. <laughs> When it comes to parenting, I I want to be perfect, but I'm not even close, bud. I want to be filled with perfection and know exactly what to say, exactly when the moment arises, exactly how to negotiate uh, the the terrain of parenting. But friends, I I want you to understand that, that we all fall short, I do as well. And yet, God, in his graciousness, has given us this ability, this privilege of raising these incredible gifts called children and to influence the family dynamic that he has placed us within. The challenge for each and every one of us, if if you've been following along in this series, is to... um, is to not beat ourselves up when we realize that we're not perfect and also not to pretend away our imperfections, but rather to walk that tightrope of leading by example in the midst of juggling the ringmaster's duties. What we wanna do is we wanna seek to invite the wisdom and the grace of Jesus Christ into our homes. And so what I wanna do, if you're filling in the blanks, I wanna start by talking about what is it that we're shooting for? What, what is, what is the, the, this idea of a circus that would be you know, sort of the most healthy, the most beautiful, the most joyful? And I think that you will agree that, that most of us have this kind of a picture in mind. The first fill-in is that word confidence. We want our children to have a, a true and deep sense of confidence, confidence in who they are, confidence in whose they are. And I'm not talking about arrogance, but I'm talking about a bold eagerness to embrace the challenges of life, confidence. We all want our children to experience that. Number two, character. We all want our children to have great character. We want them to be confident in 
the character that they have. We want that character to have all kinds of great quality about it, like honesty and integrity and a determination to do the right thing, regardless of the cost. So confidence and character. The third fill-in is conviction. See, conviction is required when the pressure gets put on, when the temptation to capitulate comes, when the heat gets turned up. It's in those moments that we want our children to hold fast to the confidence that they have and to remain true to the character that they've developed. It's conviction that will keep them on that path when things get difficult. The fourth feeling is compassion. We want our children to understand love deeply. We want them to understand how they are loved. We want them to understand how to express love. The Bible talks about love as the most excellent way. And that's what we want for our children as well. I found this quote from Kay Warren. She writes, the depth to which we can give and receive compassion is the benchmark by which we measure success in our lives. We want our children to be successful. We want them to understand compassion. And the fifth fill in here is competence. We want them to be competent in their school. We want them to be competent in relationships. We want them to be competent in their calling, their vocation, the the path, the plan that God has for each and every one of our children. We want them to experience competence there, that they would be confident, they would have strong character, conviction to stay the course when things get tough. They would have compassion to share love with those in their world, and they would be competent in the things that God has for them. So that is kind of, it's a vague, it's out there, it's like a bullseye that we would shoot for. You might use kind of other words to describe what it is that you're trying to accomplish in your family dynamic, but I think that even if you use other words, they will fall sort of under these general categories. And what I would like to do is I'd like to give you just a couple more tools. We've been talking about tools all series, a couple more tools that will help us as we nurture our families in this direction. So this is what the amazing Mr. Perfect, the amazing Mrs. Perfect can nurture in their homes. And the first is a strong belief, strong belief. Now, parents, this is for you that you would believe in your son, that you would believe in your daughter that this would be communicated. I believe in you, buddy. I believe in you, sweetheart, that that you are someone who believes in your child. But then I want you to take it one level deeper, and it's a strong belief that the role of parenting is a vastly important role for you to embrace, right? You have to believe that you are hugely significant in the life of your child. If you don't have a strong belief in your role as a parent, then you'll be nothing more than a manager at a bed and breakfast. And friends, you need to understand that children are more influenced by their parents than by anyone else in the world. Study after study reveals this truth. In fact, the only exception to this rule is when a parent pulls out and withdraws from the family dynamic, and in that case, culture and peers rush in to fill that influence gap. But I would suggest that even in that moment, the the parent who is an absentee parent still vastly impacts the life of a child, but they're impacting it by absenteeism instead of by their active influence. No, friends, kids want their parents to be superheroes. 
You know that this is true, that, that children, when you first start a family life, you know that kids look up to parents like they are superheroes, like they did hang the moon. I want my kids to think that I hung the moon. That's why I tell them things like, I hung the moon, okay? <laughs> and so my kids, even later as they grow up, they ask me things like, Dad, did you really teach Russell Wilson how to play football? You know, and I'll be like, yeah, buddy. I mean, here's the photographic evidence right here. You know, like I just, I want to. You know, scripture says children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. Children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hands. How joyful is the man whose quiver is full of them, right? Uh, the quiver, uh, full, obviously this metaphor, it's an archery term, and, and it's saying that, that, that the parent would have a full quiver, and, and some of you are thinking, you know, I'd love to shoot a few of these arrows out of my home. And some of you who may be a little bit older, your, your kids have grown up, you're thinking, I didn't get arrows, I got boomerangs, because when I try to shoot them out, they just circle back around, they're, they're coming back home. No, it, it, I want you to look at that first line in this passage, it says, children are a gift from the Lord, right? They, they are a reward from Him. It, you know, it, I don't know if you think about your kids like that, but it, if you've received a gift from God... How ought you value that gift? And I recognize that some parents didn't get the gift they wanted or even planned for. I just want to say, but God chose you, and God chose your child. You might have been a reluctant parent, but now you are a parent. Embrace that role. He's the one who put you in this beautiful unit called a family. I want to take a look at some of the words that Jesus himself said about children and our response to them. In Mark 9, 36, it says, Then he put a little child among them. Jesus welcomed a child right in their midst. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me, and anyone who welcomes me welcomes not only me, but also my Father who sent me. When you are embracing and you're welcoming and you are, you are absolutely making the most of your role as a parent in your home, what are you doing? You're welcoming Jesus into your home. Right? You're welcoming God into your home by caring for your children. And it just puts a new perspective on the role of mother, on the role of father, right? This is your greatest role. This is your highest destiny. This is the greatest thing that you could ever do is invest in the life of your kid. Why? Because you're inviting Jesus in. You know, when I was a new dad, I, I was pretty much an idiot uh, often. And, and there was a, a time we had a, we had a toddler and an infant in our home. And I remember once foolishly asking my stay-at-home wife, you know, Jody, what do you do all day? Now, I only ask her that question one time, because when I regained consciousness, I realized that she was doing the most important thing in the universe. She, she was welcoming Jesus by lovingly investing in our children. And I know there's a tendency in the world, different cultures have had this tendency, where you sort of pawn that job off on someone else. 
Maybe there are men who expect that somebody else does it and, and that that's not a role that you play. By the way, gentlemen, I just want to say that whenever you're caring for your own kids in your own home, that's not called babysitting, right? That's just called being a faja, right? That's that you're dad, and that's a role that you play. I'm just I'm trying to encourage you to embrace that role. And so a rhetorical question, is parenting a high value to you? Do you have a strong belief in it? Do you hold the role of parenting on, on an equal or higher plane than you hold the role of, say, career advancement? Right? Because Jesus sees it that way. And as long as we're wrapping up this point on strong belief, I just want to talk for the third week in a row about this, this idea of God's plan of mom and dad to be the primary pastor in the home, right? See, the church environment is awesome and dynamic and fruitful and beautiful. God has a plan for the church family. I want you to understand, though, the church family is designed to come along your family, come alongside your family, and in your home that you would be the mom, the dad, that's communicating your strong belief in the Lord to your children. The scripture says this in Psalm 145, let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts, right? Each generation tell our kids that the primary responsibility in my home is that in my strong belief, I have strong belief in my children, I have strong belief in my role as a dad, and I have strong belief in the Lord that I will communicate to my children my strong belief in his mighty acts, his wonder, his splendor, his goodness, and his grace, Okay, so that's the first thing. If we're trying to create a family dynamic that produces children that are confident, children that are uh, filled with character, children of conviction, children of compassion, competent kids, then the very first thing that we can embrace is a strong belief. The second thing that we can embrace, if you're filling in the blanks, is ongoing affection. Ongoing affection in our home for our children. Now, I was just going to say affection, but I added the modifier ongoing affection for, quite honestly, for some of the dads in here. Uh, you know, there are guys, not, not all, but some guys who have the emotional intelligence of, say, a, a, a brick. And so I wanted to make it really clear that this is an idea that keeps kind of going and going. It's not just once affection, but it's ongoing. In fact, I found this quote from comedian Jim Gaffigan who says, there should be a children's song. If you're happy and you know it, keep it to yourself and let your dad sleep. <laughs> and I recognize that there is still this pressure. I'm talking to the men for a moment. There's still this pressure, especially in the independent Northwest, to be hyper-masculine, to be uber-macho. And, and so since it is Father's Day, we do have a video for all you manly, manly, manly men out there. Please. Enjoy this video. Trimming the hedge, huh? Yep, me too. 22 inches, electric. 33 cc's, gas. Are you challenging my manliness? Yes. was born with hair on my chest a gleam in my eye to latch onto a breast i cut my own umbilical cord with my razor sharp teeth then i drove home and my mom rode on in the back seat 
is too valuable for that. I'll be too busy working a jackhammer. You're a mama's boy. I was born in an Arctic cave and adopted by wolves. That's how I was raised. I didn't drink milk. I suckled the fangs of venomous snakes. I killed the first man that I met with just my firm handshake. I potty trained myself. You're still bedwetting. I smell like charcoal when I'm sweating and was the best man in my own wedding. Search Google Images for masculinity. Feel free to Photoshop your face on that image of me. Creative Commons, punk. Meanwhile, I'll be adjusting some really large nuts. I rise before the sun. Screw circadian rhythm. I bathe with sandpaper and my underwear is thinner. My shave with a box cutter. Blindfolded as well. Cause if I look in the mirror, I intimidate myself. I got no need for sleep. I never shut my eyes. I type bitchy noise while I memorize Apache war cries. The sun comes up when I tell it I'm ready. Then I trim my nose hairs with a razor sharp machete. I'm so handy, even my feet are hands. I built a hobby house for a homeless man without using any plans. My kid's jungle gym has a full-size trapeze, and I modified my garden hose to dispense nacho cheese. I'm handy too. I run out of my bathroom exhaust fan into your bedroom. I write incisors of Phillips head screwdriver. I made my son deck into a holodeck where I hang out with MacGyver. My GPS gets a sense of direction from me. I can drive 10 hours without stopping to take a leak. I don't avert my eyes when I pass roadkill, and I teach an online course in parallel. Cleaning something off my shirt. Yep. Got it. Okie dokie. You guys have a great day. I'm too much man for a manicure. I don't even have cuticles. For the sake of convenience, I keep a urinal in my cubicle. I can barefoot ski. I can smell the fear of bees. I threw open my mouth the one time that I watched clean. I am my own boss. My middle name is Hoss. I don't even know what it feels like to sit with my legs crossed. I've never been shopping. I don't remove pizza toppings. Sniff mountain goat droppings? Well, honey, somebody did a stinky. It's got your name on it. Babe, the Real Housewives Marathon's about to start, and you promised you'd make your vegan ooey gooey bars. <laughs> You're welcome. Why don't you write this down? Affection is something that emotionally healthy families have in common. See, if we're going to talk about what is an emotionally healthy family dynamic, what's a family dynamic that is going to produce the kind of results that we hope, dream, and pray for, we need to understand that ongoing affection is a part of that reality, that healthy kids have been given proper affection, and they've received a lot of it. Kids are hungry for appropriate affection, and if they don't get it appropriately, they will seek it out in inappropriate ways. Study after study has revealed that unaffectionate parents produce boys who don't know how to express themselves emotionally, 
and girls who will go after affection in all sorts of less than healthy ways. You know, we have quite a large community of adoptive parents at Overlake Christian Church. And adoptive parents are, um, they're rightly advised to hold, touch, snuggle, and be as close as possible to the children they're bringing into their home, almost as if to make up for lost time. That it's something that every single child, every person, every human needs that ongoing affection. You know, I was talking to an adoptive dad this week, and he was telling me that when his daughter was first brought into his home, that it didn't feel natural for him to give her hugs, and she had never had a male in her life, so she didn't feel natural receiving his hugs. And then he realized that's exactly the problem. That's exactly the problem, that it needs to be natural, but it's not. And so he simply resolved to offer appropriate hugs and snuggles and care until the time came that it did feel natural. And he said, and it took a while, but then it did. And it's very natural and it's a part of their family life today. For those of you who know me personally or you've kind of glimpsed into the Howerton household, you might know that I like to be, I try to be affection on steroids, that I love to hug, I love to snuggle, I love to wrestle my boys, you know, whatever it takes. I, I, I want to communicate affection. And um, there are sometimes, I was talking to my creative team this week, there are sometimes when, like, I'll come in the house after work and one of my boys will be playing a video game. So I'll just sit down next to him, just as close as I possibly can get. Just sit down and uh, I don't have to say much. It, it'll take like a minute. Before, you know, like my son will say, hey, dad, watch me kill the snow giant. And be like, oh, okay, you know. And then I just start chipping in. Oh, what are you using there? Are you using a troll blade? Okay, you, you know what I'd use? I'd use an elf bow. In fact, let me, let me show you what I do to this giant. And I pick up my son and drop him on the beanbag, right? And then that just starts a wrestling match. And both my boys come in. And I love wrestling with my boys because they're 12 and 9. And I can still take them. <laughs> That'll last like another year, and uh, we'll stop wrestling. But I, I just want you to see that the idea is to give affection, to give it as appropriately and as often as you possibly can, to do this in an ongoing way. Of course, you have to be present to offer ongoing affection in your home. First John 3.18 says, Dear children, let's not merely say we love each other. Let's show the truth by our actions. So we, we can't just say that we love each other. We can't just say we love our families. We need to show it. Saying it's nice, showing it's better. So we need to pour it on. Now, uh, I want to speak for a second to the parents of teens, maybe preteen or teen. It's that it's sort of that awkward season when a, a child is, for the first time, maybe saying um, no thank you to your affection trying to put arms distance between you, saying, oh, no, 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 it's weird. I think you're weird, Mom. I think you're weird, Dad. And you guys need to know that that, that, that does happen. It will happen. It's a, it's a natural part of understanding their own independence, right, when they're separating from Mom and Dad a little bit. But I would simply say this to you, that, that when your child is trying to distance themselves the most from you, when their chemical and hormonal tempest is at its zenith, at its zenith and all things are confusing in their world, that's when they need consistent care and affection the most. That's when we can't get personally offended that they don't want us to hug them at the bus stop in front of their peers. Speaking from personal experience. 
but we can't withdraw our affection. We simply need to find other ways to appropriately communicate that affection. Romans 12.10 says, love each other with genuine affection. Just circle that phrase. And take delight in honoring each other. And this will require practice. Friends, each of your children, you got more than one kid, each of your kids are going to be unique. They're going to receive affection uniquely, offer affection uniquely. You're going to need to figure out how to appropriately show genuine affection to each of your children, everybody in your family dynamic. And so I would just say, so, so make peace with practice. Have this be an ongoing challenge that you embrace. You'll find the right groove. But keep going after it. That's why it's called ongoing. So strong belief, ongoing affection. And the third is encouraging words. Encouraging words. Friends, encouragement is food for the soul. I want you to remember the power of words. Remember that words can be prickly. They can be pointed. They can be positive. They can be sharp or scary or scarring. And the scripture talks about the reality of our words as well. In Proverbs 12, 18, it says, the words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. I'm sure that there are those of us in this room that can remember a time when somebody's words just pierced us. They just went right through us, causing an incredible wound that took a long time, maybe still hasn't healed, right? Our words can pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. In fact, I want you to understand that words are called modifiers because they actually modify our children when we're using them, right? You can, uh, I'm sure you've, you know, seen scenarios like this where you're meeting a new family and the mom says, oh, this is Abby. She's our shy one as Abby cowers behind mom's legs. Or, you know, a dad introducing his son, oh, this is Jaeger, he's our wild child, as Jaeger lights a match and burns the garage down, right? <laughs> and the idea is that the words that we use end up modifying our children, that they hear and they embrace the reality that, they, that they're uh, sort of experiencing. I want you to, to take this as a challenge to use your modifying words to be encouraging and empowering over your kids, okay? At some point, parents end up withdrawing their positive words because they're not seeing their kids return those positive words to them. And again, this is part of the growth process as your child becomes more and more independent, say as a teenager. I simply want to encourage you to keep after it. Even if your child's not reflecting positive words back to you, they're digesting them. Your positive words, your encouraging words are going into them. They're feeding on them, and it's nourishing who they are. Do you remember we talked on week one about how um, what we're trying to communicate, it's not taught, it's caught. So keep going after it. And I do want to encourage you, when you are focused on building positively into your children, when you're focused on encouraging them, I would challenge you, go beyond their performance. I'm sure your daughters are beautiful. I'm sure your sons are handsome. I'm sure there are many of them that are, that are excellent on the soccer field or, or they're excellent in the classroom. But let your encouragement go a little bit deeper than that. 
Because there will be a time when maybe they don't look so beautiful or handsome, when they don't perform as well on the field or in the classroom. You're going to need to speak something powerful and positive in those moments. You can't focus on performance. You don't want to create an approval addict. What you want to do is talk about what's deep and real and rich. So let your words be something like this. Whether they hit a home run or strike out, you communicate, I love to watch you play. Now, if it's baseball, it might be a lie because that's a tough sport to sit through. (laughs) I love to be with you. I love it when you do your best. I'm amazed at how patient you were with your little brother or your little sister. I'm proud of the way you stood up for your beliefs. Every day, I thank Jesus that I get to be your daddy or your mommy. My whole life, I dreamed of having a son or a daughter just like you. Friends, these encouragements aren't based on results. They're based on relationship. They go much deeper than performance. Proverbs 12, 6 says, The words of the wicked are like a murderous ambush, but the words of the godly save lives. What this is saying is for your kids, your words have the power of life and death. They, they can speak murder or they can bring salvation. And Jesus goes one step further with this idea of words. He says our words come from somewhere. They come from our heart. And they reveal what's beautiful and what's broken in here. See, Jesus says this. This is found in Matthew 12, 34. For whatever's in your heart determines what you say. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. Friends, our words are a telling indication of what's going on on the inside. They reveal the brokenness. They reveal what we need to ask God to do business on in us as well. I want to share a story um, with permission. Pastor Jake told me the story this week. You know, he grew up in Eatonville, and his dad was uh, very present in his life. Dad taught him how to fish and work on cars, was the coach of all of his soccer teams. He was, a, he was a very constant presence in his life. But Jake said by the time he was 18, he could only remember one time that his dad said that he loved him. His dad was one of those kind of a, a gruff exterior guys. He believed that he was showing Jake his love. He didn't need to tell him. And Jake told me that when he was 18 years old, he had never once heard his dad say, I'm proud of you. There was kind of a competition going on between father and son, and and it was a very sparring-oriented kind of relationship. There wasn't that communication, I'm proud of you. And so when Jake turned 18 years old, his dad said, hey, I'm going to take you out. They did a mandate. They left Eatonville. They went to Puyallup, to the theaters up there. They were going to watch a movie that was coming out at the time called Rudy. I don't know if you've seen Rudy. It's a movie about a boy who has a dream for playing football for the Notre Dame football team. And um, there's a lot of dysfunctional father-son relationship in the movie. And it's a, it's a pretty inspiring movie if you've never seen it. Uh, Sam Gamgee from Lord of the Rings is in it. And, uh, you know, I recommend it. So, um, so they're driving home after the movie. And they're driving south on the 167 toward Eatonville. And Jake's dad can't even look at Jake. He's just kind of driving. And he says, you know, son, I know I don't say it very often, but I hope you know that I love you. And Jake 
his heart kind of stopped. He just took an intake of breath. And then Jake's father continued, and he said, and I don't think I've ever said this, but I am so proud of you. I am so proud of the man that you've become. And Jake just couldn't take it. He just started crying. He just started, Dad. He just started weeping right there. Tried to hug him, you know, as he's driving. He looks over at his dad, and his dad's crying too. There's tears coming down. So much so that he has to pull over to the side of the road. And then he's sitting there, and they're hugging each other. And Jake's dad, see, this is stupid. This is why you don't say anything. He's a couple of babies here. I can't believe. You know, it's, but you know, what's interesting is many, many years later, Jake told me that he and his dad have an incredible relationship that's built on mutual love and respect. And I bring all this up because I want you to know that maybe you're here, we're going through this stuff, you're thinking, you know what, I, I haven't done these things. I, I haven't had a strong belief in my role, and I, I haven't been there, you know, ongoing affection, and I, and I haven't spoken encouraging words. So I just want to say very, very clearly, it's never too late to start. Today would be a great day to break the silence. To start speaking your love and your encouragement, your affection and your belief into your family. I have three kids, 14-year-old daughter, 12-year-old son, 9-year-old son. I want to be the dad that speaks love and care and nurture into their lives again and again and again. I tell them things like, I am so thankful to be your dad. When I tuck him in at night, I tell him, God had a great plan, and he wanted somebody exactly like you. And God is pleased with you, and so am I. God celebrates who you are, and I couldn't be more proud. Friends, I, I just want to encourage you that you would embrace these three steps. You would have a strong belief in your child, in your role, and in the Lord that you would give ongoing affection in your family and that you would speak encouraging words. Our, our, our dream is that we would create a family dynamic that would produce children who have um, all kinds of confidence, who know who they are, their character is solid, that they have convictions and they hold fast to these things no matter what's going on in the world. They have compassion for themselves and for others and they have competence in the things that God has in store for them. And as a dad, I just want to say that these are the things that I dream about and I pray for over my own family. These are the things that I want. I want to see the full love and the full joy and the full life that Jesus has in mind. I want to see that in the life of my kids. As a pastor, that's what I want for you. As a pastor, that's exactly what I want for your families that there would be the full measure of joy in your home, the full measure of the life that Jesus brings, that you would see it and that your families would flourish. That's what I want for you. But I want to tell you, even more than what Pastor Mike wants for you, that's what the Lord wants for you. Because, remember, it's his idea. Family's not something we came up with. It's something he came up with. So why don't we ask for his help right now in our family life? Let's go ahead and pray together. Jesus, we're so thankful. We're so thankful that you love us, that you've communicated your love for us so clearly, so powerfully, that you're the one who has pursued us through the ages. You're the one who has come near. You're the one who has valued presence. 
You're the one who has believed in us long before we ever believed in you. So Jesus, we just want to say thank you for our families. We even say this knowing that in so many of our families there is chaos and dysfunction, that, that none of our families are perfect. We just want to take a moment and say thank you for our families today. We ask that you would allow us to have strong belief in our role, strong belief in your presence in our family, and strong belief in our family members. We pray that you would show us how we might have this true and genuine affection in our homes. Show us how to speak kindly and encouraging, that we would bring life and salvation to the ones we love the most. Jesus, we confess that we fail and that we need your help. But today, we just love you and we offer you our families, asking for your full blessing, for for the richest blessing that you have for our families. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.